So you've decided to listen to the Reality Czars podcast. How brave of you. Nate and Paranoid American may think that they're merely discussing cryptozoology, interdimensional realities, and crude humor. But know this, listening to this podcast puts you on a certain list, the Clinton body count, if you will. The truths they reveal are not for the faint of heart, nor the blissfully ignorant. Listen, if you dare, but remember, some doors, once opened, cannot be closed. And now, your hosts, those audacious explorers of forbidden knowledge, the reality czars, Nate and Paranoid American. And we're live. Welcome, everybody. This is the Reality Czars podcast, and we are hosts tonight, Nate and Tom is a paranoid motherfucking American. Hey, friends. <laughs> uh, we are honored. We are privileged. We have Mike Rick Sector joining us again. Thank you, brother, for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Nate, Thomas, great to be back with you guys. So the last time we were talking, we talked about all kinds of wild stuff, but then you were talking about mm -hmm. you were in the process of getting your uh, book about time travel out. Yep. And man, I listened to the, the episode you did. Uh, with Chris Matthew not that long ago, and it was super fascinating, man. I honestly, I haven't read the book yet, but I'm going to. I have too many. I have a stack right now of books that I need yeah. to get through. Uh, but I'm really excited to talk to you, man. This is awesome. Can you tell uh, our audience the name of your book and where they? Can, what's the best place they can buy it? Do they buy through your website better than Amazon, something like that? And what's and tell us, yeah, tell us all the good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um... The name of the book is Travels Through Time Inside the Fourth Dimension, Time Travel and Stack Time Theory. My website, sure, you can go there. Um, you can also find it through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million. You can go to your brick and mortar store. If they don't have it there, they can order it for you. So you have a lot of options as far as where you can find it. It's available on audio, too. Heck yeah, did man. Did you do the audio? Did you read it? I did, yes. Yeah, I read my own audio books. Nice. You have a good voice for that. You have like a soothing, nice, like, yeah, I would like the book read by you. Yeah, and I'll put you right to sleep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I appreciate that. Cool, man. So uh, I think also, like, the last time we talked to you, you were about to head out to Egypt. How did that go? Everything went man, good. It's and been that long. Uh, it's that was been back a in February. Wow. Okay. Uh, I thought it was more recent that I talked to you guys. Uh, yeah, Egypt was great. Uh, you know, we were we were out there uh, two weeks in February, so it was a little chillier than what you usually expect for Egypt. Uh, we're actually headed back in April, by the way. So for any of your viewers and listeners, April 16th to the 28th, Stargates of Ancient Egypt Tour 2. Um, but yeah, it was wonderful. Uh, you know, we hit the, you know, once again, we had inside the Great Pyramid of Giza two hours, just our you know, little group, the whole thing was opened up to us and we'll be doing the same thing again in April too. So, and so that's just magical being able to have that kind of access for that long is, is fantastic. And so, yeah, um, you know, up and down the, the Nile river, uh, and as you, you go up and down the river, you're hitting the different temples and you know, that's where you can find, you know, some of these different stargates and other you know, mysteries that, uh, you know, we have a great tour guide, Mohammed Ibrahim. And you know, he's, a, he's a native there to Egypt. He's been doing the tours for over 20 years. He is an Egyptologist. And we get all the inside scoops. Because he knows everybody, we get special access all over the place. So uh, this past time when we were at uh, Abydos, and um, it was getting toward the end of the day, the crowds were petering out. 
And he was like, Mike, you ever been in this back room over there? No, no, no. So he grabs one of his guys, opens it up. Our group goes in and he proceeds to tell us that uh, this is where Um Seti had hung out when they were, this was like her favorite room when they were restoring uh, the Temple of Seti at Abydos. And she's she's the woman that when uh, she had died at a, uh, she had actually died at a very, very young age, was revived. Uh, but while she was out, she had all of these visions of being in ancient Egypt. And when she went back there, uh, it was she was finding all kinds of things that people didn't know about before because she had had these visions of the past life there. So this was her favorite room that people don't usually get access to. So uh, that was really special. We, all kinds of things like that just kind of happened throughout our tour. I'm curious, like That's right so now cool, in 2023, yeah. how serious do tour guides and just pe like Egyptologists in general take like the the threat of, say, a curse? Is that just like silly things for children <laughs> now, or is that a legitimate thing that comes up? There, there's respect for the different locations and sites. So not so much as in a curse, like the whole idea of you know the curse of King Tut and how uh, several people. Um, from Howard Carter's expedition had uh, had died in very strange and mysterious ways. Some of it can be attributed to you know, they were entering into a tomb that hadn't been opened in for so long uh, in the different uh, particulates that would come out of such a place that the human body, the modern human body would used to. So there's some of that, uh, but they're very reverent and respectful uh, of their location. So, you know, even though, you know, the, hieroglyphs are there right on the walls and a lot of people will you know try to go and, and touch and you're like oh, no don't touch don't touch even though there are tons of them all over the place um the, the oils from the fingers of course can can cause damage and things like that so uh they have a respect for it all but it's it's honor system currently like if you went there and you just wanted to do damage it seems like you'd, you'd be able to do damage you don't want to do that. There are gentlemen with here. There, there are gentlemen. There are gentlemen with guns there. So, okay. Okay. <laughs> no. It's it's not just like the uh, the museum will like the the ushers will escort you out swiftly. Like you might actually get an AK in your face or what? Oh yeah. Um, yeah. You know there there are armed guards there, um, and it's you know it, it's it's twofold. One, yes, they're protecting the place, but. Too, they're also protecting you. Um, you know, it, it's it's safe to travel over there, um, but you don't want to venture too too far off the path. You know, because there are some the the more seedy areas of the towns are very <laughs> can be very corrupt and seedy. Um, so they just kind of keep that element out. You know, Muhammad keeps us in a really nice safety bubble the, the whole time. Um, but yeah, you don't want to go damaging. You'll find yourself in, in a prison there somewhere. If you purposely vandalize or, or damage something, you don't, you don't want that. Did you hear that name? Yeah, yeah I did. I don't, I would never vandalize or damage something like that. <laughs> yeah. A lot of these no, are part of, you know, the UNESCO world heritage site. So yeah. As a teenager, like the side of like a Walmart or a Target with me and a can of spray paint, that was that was open season, but never something like a nothing like a pyramid or some hieroglyphs. 
Nah, you, you don't want to do that. And enough damage has been done over the years by, you know, people that were explorers. You know, we we know that there are chambers above the uh, the king's chamber in the Great Pyramid of Giza because there was a rumor that there was more things above and they threw a stick of dynamite up there and lit the thing off. <laughs> so there has been some crazy stuff like that done over the years. And then I, I've also heard... Uh numerous numerous stories of um mummies bodies um being used as like as a medicinal um substance in the in the 1800s and things like that so lots of uh bodies and things like that mummies bodies were vandalized correct like yeah they, like, they didn't think it was like good for you so they were like gobbling uh <laughs> mummy powder right they call it, yeah like yeah, ingesting the ancients and things like that. They are very, yeah. very uh, protective of their mummies over there. So um, the uh, the museum that has the the royal mummies, the uh, Egyptian Civilization Museum, it's in a uh, special area on the lower level of the museum, and they will not let you take any photos down there. Like, it's not just we don't want you taking flash photos, which would, of course, you know, quicken the deterioration but they want you to take no photos whatsoever and they have people stationed all throughout and um you know the first time that i was there there was a, a group of schoolgirls that were down there and they went to go take a selfie against a wall where there were no mummies or anything behind them and here comes uh you know one of the guards and you know he's grabbing the phone he's calling the the teacher over and he's like this needs to be removed right now and it, there's no mummy in the photo it was, a, it was a wall but it was in that room is that a respect thing that yeah. is i would say it's part in respect and part um there, there's a business side to that as well all oh, right <laughs> you, know? you got to so, see this yeah, yeah, you have to you have to pay to get into uh, the the mummy area there and see that special. So, um, yeah, and there's some other locations like um, the, the 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 mask of King Tut, uh, which is at the uh, Egyptian Museum in, in Cairo. Uh, they don't want you taking pictures of that, but I'll tell you this: those guys are a little bit more lenient there than at the Civilization Museum. Because there's all kinds of people that'll, you know, you pick up their cell phone, looking around, and you'll hear the guy back behind just kind of lazily, no photo, no photo, and, and they don't make them take it off. He doesn't have an AK-47. He <laughs> doesn't have, yeah, that guy doesn't have an AK. No, no, that's more of that. Um, some of the um, you know, temples and things like that. They're a little bit more. Out in the country, or um, or you'll find that at the uh, the Great Pyramid and the, the Giza Plateau as well, because that's the city butts right up against those pyramids. You don't see it in the photos that that people take, but it's the the city is basically around the pyramids now. It's actually kind of sad. That's funny, man. I mean, I don't know why this reminds me of it, but it kind of does. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was with my wife, and we were in Yellowstone. And there's signs everywhere because there's all these natural formations, right, with all this mm -hmm. water that's coming down and it's like hot and it's like sulfur. It has like different minerals and stuff in it. And, um, there's signs and like uh, like telling you like to stay out of the water, stay like, in, you know, yeah. you're on like a platform. And, and there's a mm -hmm. group of Chinese tourists 
And this one little guy just like jumps in the pond, jumps in the puddle, and starts splashing around, and, like grabs a like a I guess like a jar and started like getting some of the water and started drinking it. And then you just <laughs> oh, see <God>. the rain, <laughs> you just see the rangers like screaming from the back, hey, and they go and rush the dude and like drag him out of there. Um pretty funny stuff, but uh, <laughs> Hey, Mike, I think, uh, Thomas, you can still see and hear me. Okay, there we go. I think Mike was frozen. Yeah, yeah, dropped there for okay, a second for <laughs> some strange reason. So, but I, I I got the story that you're talking about. Yeah, I've, I've seen that, um, like, at Yellowstone. You know, don't go off the path, like, around um, Old Faithful. Don't go off the path because, uh, you know, you get the, the hot water springing out. And there was, uh, the when I was there as a teenager, there was a, a, a bison at the end of the path <laughs> yeah like like you said it was i think in this case it was japanese tourists and they got the cameras they're getting closer and closer and closer to the bison it's like oh this is gonna end ugly yeah are are there ways that oh, people yeah. can get like uh like badly hurt or anything in, in these because i'm just thinking like some of the places that i've been that require you to traverse some sketchy you know terrain and at one misstep and you fall off the side of a mountain and you're dead like is there any correlation of that and and like the pyramids and the other ruins um well i mean there are some places you have to kind of crawl through uh you know egypt being in the desert is a lot of it is flat terrain um you know there's some hills i mean there's some cliffs i suppose as you go through like the valley of the kings but none of that are you on top you know, you're going through the valley and walking through. Um, there's, I mean, you do have to, um, I was, you know, you got to have your walking shoes through the temples. The the pyramids are a little bit more of a challenge because when you're uh, going down those shafts now, the the Great Pyramid, you're, you're basically going up. You know, the, the public part of it is up. Our access, we get down to the subterranean chamber, so you have the shaft that goes downwards. And those are are tough because you're kind of uh, crawling. And, and the Bent Pyramid is actually tougher than the Great Pyramid of, of all things. That's because it's at a much steeper angle. Um, so, I mean, you're not going to slip and fall down that. It's uh, You're going to get really, really winded. You, know, you might bang a knee or something like that. Um, See, they're in the temple. Is this like a like a no fatties kind of excursion. Um, I would say, uh, yeah. I mean, we had we had some bigger people. Uh, yeah, no one, on no one that. would get like clog up the <laughs> like. Right. The, the shop. No, I get what you're saying, but I mean, we had some bigger people, and it, it was everything was still fine. It was if you could physically make it, you know, you know, down there and up without having a heart attack, you were you were fine. And then, you know, really, it's. We spend a, a few days at the pyramids, and then most of it is walking around the temples. There's a far, far more going on with, with the temples and like the Valley of the Kings and all that than there are with the pyramids because you only have a handful of pyramids, but the temples are everywhere. And then you get you know the nice relaxation time on the on the cruise. That's awesome, man. So when you're at these like when you're at these ancient sites, do you feel like a like, uh, I guess, like, uh, you get a spiritual experience when you're in these places. Like, oh, yeah. You feel like you're. A... I mean, yeah, I, I can't imagine. I... It's really wild. You know, the first time that I was there, I was just kind of awestruck. You know, you're walking into these you know, massive buildings. You're like, 
how in the world did they do this? You know, it just it just blows your mind. It's like over your head. Um, and there is an energy there. There's definitely a palpable energy. The uh, the second time that I was there, I was able to kind of more uh, tune in and appreciate that energy because I wasn't as awestruck this time around. Uh, but even still, it's yeah, it is really freaking amazing. Heck yeah, man. Uh, so I don't know um, how we want to like uh, start working our way into your book, but I want to talk a little time travel. I mean, we could we could even start with that one lady that you were discussing. Um, I found that endlessly fascinating. I've, I've heard about this lady. So I'm going to tell you what I know about her. Then you correct me where I'm wrong. So I'd heard this story about this young lady. She had like a near death experience. Right. Or maybe she even died. And then like her parents took her to like um I think like took her to a museum and she like found the Egyptian um, she had found like the Egyptian exhibit and like, like, like remembered a past life that she yeah. had. And she just had all this knowledge and like freaked everybody out because she knew things that nobody else knew and things like that. Um, and that's about the majority of what I know about her. Uh, she that seems was, like a really interesting lady. Was, yeah, that was, that was Am Seti. That's who we were talking about at the very beginning. Yeah, when we're talking about the, yeah, um, the the room at Abydos that that we got access to, and that was her her favorite room. And basically, she she slept in there. Uh, but yeah, that's essentially what happened. Where she had um, she had had an accident. She had uh, been dead for a short period of time. Was revived, and then yeah, going to uh, the museum, she had you know all these you know recollections of of Egypt, and uh, yeah, she she believed that she had been there in a past life. Yeah, totally blew everybody away. And then, of course, she naturally, you know, went into the into the field of uh, Egyptology. How much? That's so cool, man. How much past life regression and like people tapping into, I guess, like supernatural means actually influence our current understanding of ancient Egypt? Is it is it like a fringe, or is there actually like a substantial amount? Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because when you are you know tapping into those lives um you know you are you are getting a glimpse of the past and so i, I guess it really kind of depends on who you, who you're working with right um because there are there, there's so much you know within this field there's people who are doing it right there's people who are legitimate and then there are people and it's sad there are people who are frauds and that's something that has really kind of you know hurt this field um and so uh, you know, it, it's why there are so many people that are really skeptical of what we do and the research that uh, you know, we're actually undertaking. So, with those regressions, uh, you have to you have to take into account you know who who you're actually working with here. But uh, yeah, there are a lot of legitimate people that have done those. They have seen those moments from the past, whether it's in Egypt. Or you know they're seeing other moments throughout our history, or even you know moments in the future. You know we are getting glimpses and some information uh, of things that happened the way things were. Hey Mike, have you ever thought about doing past life regression, or have you before? I have. And yeah. How, okay, because I'm I'm curious about that. Like, how did you even get down this rabbit hole? How did you become? The Mike Rick sector that we know and love today. Like, how did you get down into this, uh, right. this field, and like, what made you interested in all this? Yeah, well, when it comes to Egypt, um, that's 
Well, growing up in the 80s, I think we were all, uh, at least many of us, were very interested in, in Indiana Jones, you know, kind of sparked some creative juices, but, um, or uh, adventurous juices, I should say. Uh, Egypt specifically, as far as like the hidden mysteries behind it. So kind of almost back to back, you had the uh, Mysteries of the Sphinx uh, special presentation that came out. Uh, Char Charlton Heston was the host, but it was the work by uh, Robert Schock and John Anthony West. Uh, when they basically redated the Sphinx using geology. And then right after that, the movie Stargate came out. Yeah. And so that was like back to back like that. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so much going on, you know, in, in Egypt, so many you know mysteries that are still there uh, to be solved. And so that's why I went down that route. Where it comes to the, the past life regression, that had to do with an experience that I had uh, much, much younger in my life uh, when I was a bit about eight years old. And I had an experience with what we would call a, a shadow person and you know, woke up in the middle of the night and there was this you know, tall, dark figure standing in the corner of my room that got physically interactive with me. Um, didn't hurt me or harm me, but you know, had taken my wrist, crossed my arms across my body and ran off down the hall. And, you know, for as, as a young child, you know, I was very frightened of this. As I got older, you know, just kind of thinking about it and of course getting involved with the paranormal and supernatural. I, you know, definitely reflecting back on that experience and talking with others who had had similar experiences. It's like, I think never actually harmed me. Yeah, it physically touched me, but it never actually harmed me. And I had a couple of people suggest that you know, maybe it thought that I was dead, you know, lying there in my bed and putting me into a burial pose, like out of ancient Egypt, crook and flail sort of thing. It's like, okay, that's an interesting idea. Maybe, maybe that was the case. And so I had the past life regression to find out more information about that particular incident. And the, the woman that I worked with, uh, Ariana Corsino, she was uh, you know, trained through uh, Dolores Cannon School. That's a very, very reputable school for, for doing that type of work. Um, we, we'd first done uh, just basic past life regression. Let's see what you know we can get back to. And so I did get to like uh, you know, see a vision of a past life that was more like medieval time. But then we start specifically working on uh, that particular moment in my life and uh, when I was eight. And it was really, really fascinating that we actually channeled that particular entity. And I actually got to see the whole scene from the perspective of the shadow being, basically looking down onto my eight-year-old self and seeing the whole thing play out. And you know, the crossing of my arms across my body like that was actually it trying to put me into a self-hug because it didn't know at first that I could see it until I started reacting. And then it felt bad that it was scaring me. So it was trying to put me into a self-hug. And I got to see it kind of pat my wrist, which was different. I hadn't seen that before you know, when I was eight. And then it ran off down the hall to get out of there. So Ariana's you know, following up on this, you know, asking questions like, you know, you know, what were you doing there? And so you know, basically... This was a, an entity that was there on, on a research mission you know, to discover more about humanity, to study. Uh, you know, she had asked, where are you from? And the response was, I'm from another space. And she asked, well, do you mean like another dimension? And its response was, well, you might call it another dimension, but really it's another space. So giving us kind of this idea that what we think we know about the universe and how it works is a bit different than what we've come to understand so far. But in, in our conventional terms, this was essentially uh, an interdimensional being 
that come into the room to study humanity. It woke me up or whatever it did, but I was having a, a bad reaction to it and it got out of there. That's super fascinating, man. I, I sometimes think about that because like as a kid, uh, that was like my fantasies to become invisible. And so I used to like, think about, like <laughs> so like that would almost be like being an interdimensional being. It's like you're just walking around and like uh, like from its perspective, like it's not expecting you to see it. You know, it's it's there to just kind of like monitor, check it out, like look around. And then it sees you see it and freak out like that's that to me is mm -hmm. super fascinating. Uh, and yeah. it, it kind of freaks me out just because I'm like, is there someone standing right behind me right now? Oh, I there are no plenty idea. of things <laughs> around us that that we can't see right now that, that are, are definitely they judging going us. Like, do they do they see you eat like that extra slice of pizza, and they're like, yeah? yeah. yeah. Is, is, does that do you think that concept? Are they making them? bets though? They're like, I bet that fat ass <laughs> slice like, over and under. Yeah, he's going for yeah. a fifth slice of pizza. He's, he's looking at it. He's looking at it. You know, here comes here comes the money. Yeah, um, they they could be. You know, um, yeah. What's what's uh, really uh, interesting? So our theoretical physics uh, have. And their math and their research and all that have uh, at least so far come up with the concept that we have up to 11 dimensions. And right now we're in the fourth, right? So, which is time. Time doesn't really exist. It's a human construct. You know, we've, it's a measuring tool that we use to describe our reality so that you know, we can keep track of the seasons, know when to plant the crops, show up at work at the right moment, that sort of stuff. So we live in, in the fourth everything that is below that is freely accessible to us. So like three-dimensional objects and, you know, lines and planes, all that sort of stuff. Um, our consciousness is what's fascinating about us uh, as humans. We're multidimensional people. We're multidimensional beings. So we have uh, our consciousness, which is on the fourth dimension of time, living within a third-dimensional vessel that is our body. But fifth dimension on up, five, six, seven, eight, those would view time like we view a three-dimensional object. It's all there for them to access in and out of, you know, at will. So somebody that's in the fifth or sixth dimension could just sit there and say, well, I'm going to slide into 2023, see what's going on. Or they might go to 1923 or 1223 or whatever, uh, they would have that access to go to 2523, you know, for, for whatever means or purpose that they would have to do that. Um, you know, time is more like an object to those beings in other dimensions. That's fascinating, Mike. Do you think that we get access to these other dimensions when we die? Do you like, as I like that I'm a weird Christian that believes in reincarnation and I think that we are like endless energy that is stuck inside of this, like, I don't know, walking hamburger. And, and so when we get outside of here, when, when we're free, mm -hmm. when we're liberated from this suit, do we get access to these different realms? Do we, do you think we get to go to the eighth, ninth? Mm -hmm. I, I want to be able to access time. I'll yeah, wanna... that's, it's certainly, I get it. Uh, that is certainly one idea and concept that wherever it is that we go to, and I believe in reincarnation as well wherever that we go to after we pass uh, is one of these other dimensions or perhaps some other dimension beyond that we really haven't gotten a, 
a firm grasp of yet. Um, so, you know, the idea being that, you know, we come down here for a while, live within this realm here, the fourth dimension, pass on to that other higher dimension somewhere there. And, you know, we, you know, we interact with some of these different beings from those other dimensions when we um, have spirits of loved ones and things like that come back and, you know, maybe they impart some knowledge on us or have some interaction with us. Um, not necessarily ghosts per se, because um, I, I believe, I believe ghosts like a true ghost is somebody that has, they've lost the third dimensional body, but their fourth dimension consciousness is still here within this dimension they haven't moved to that other dimension um but others that have passed on can choose to come back either you know, if, if they're a loved one visiting us but then of course we come back into a third dimensional body again whatever that process is and there's a lot of different theories and uh, there's religious ideology and things like that that come into play when we talk about that uh, but that's that constant cycle um that we talk about when of course we start talking about like simulated universe and things like that as well when you talk about the fourth dimension as being mm -hmm. like if you were in the fifth dimension looking down at the fourth and you just see yeah. basically someone's entire timeline as like a objective thing that you can like poke and prod mm -hmm. at does that affect your concept of free will at all like if if your entire fourth dimension existence is right out there for someone in the fifth dimension to analyze, doesn't that take any agency away from you in the third dimension? Yeah, the uh, the the idea of free will is free will still is still possible. Uh, you know, we still have the ability to go ahead and you know make our own decisions in life. Now that will the the repercussions of that is a change in the timeline. That you know things things are always in flux. They're always in motion, not just the, the present, the future and the past as well. So some of these different, like when we talk about strange, uh, you know, like the Mandela effect, strange things that seem to have changed. And I don't really necessarily mean all the like little crazy branding things that have changed. That'd be trivial for somebody to kind of want to toy with. Um, but those type of effects will happen because somebody made another decision a long time ago, or we even have, you know, time travelers that can go back and, and change something as well. But, um, but yeah, it, it doesn't negate free will. It just means that there's going to be a change somewhere along the timeline. It's interesting, man. I, I like to believe in free will. And most of the time I believe in free will, but I think that's just me being stubborn. Um, well, <laughs> but I, I, here, here's, here's where I, here's where I believe in free will and that's not to try to get gushy or anything, but free will has to exist because love exists. You can't truly love someone without making that decision. It was all pre-programmed like, okay, you know, here's this person. I have to love them now because it was pre-programmed. That's not really love. You know, um, that that takes a real hardcore decision to be able to love someone. Maybe, although so much of love is just geographic convenience, is it not? Uh, it is not geographic convenience with my fiance and I. I live in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. She lives in uh, Pawtucket, Rhode Island, which is where I'm at right now. This is not geographically geographically <laughs> convenient. <laughs> 652 miles, man. 
No. <laughs> yeah, buddy. No, I think you're absolutely right about that. I, I think about um, different, man, there's been movies that have talked about this. There's been books that have talked about this. It's like, if that is like your, your soulmate, then you've probably fallen in love multiple times in multiple different life, uh, multiple different lives and different things like that. I love yeah. that idea. I think it's super fascinating. And I think maybe some people that are unhappy are the ones that make the mistake and they, you know, out of convenience, you know, they marry the wrong person or something like that. And well, they're. Let me tell you an interesting little story. Um, and, and this, and this made the book, you know, the idea of the future being able to influence the past or the present. Um, just mentioning my, my fiance, Jen here, we've actually known each other since first grade. Like we've known each other forever. Um, we had met when I had lived in Massachusetts, uh, as a kid, uh, her family's still there in that town. And we were in the library one day. I hadn't really had much interaction with her up to this point. I'm just going through a stack of books looking for you know, a good read. And all of a sudden, boom, she lays a kiss right on my cheek. And, you know, six years old. I'm like, what the heck was that? You know, you know, blushing and everything. I had no idea uh, where that came from. Uh, but that's essentially my, my first kiss, hers as well. And um, so we were kind of, you know, in in and out of each other's lives there, you know, we're fourth grade together, seventh. We actually kind of quote unquote dated as 12 year olds there for a month, but I was too scared to hold her hand. So, you know, we just, it, it ended. And then I moved away um, to Ohio and we fell out of touch for many, many years until lo and behold, uh, social media comes along and we reconnected about 15 years ago. And so, you know, we caught up, you know, um, Whenever our paths would cross, we'd go out for dinner or whatever. But you know, we were each with we were each with people at, at that time. But I did ask her, um, so what in the world was that kiss that you gave me in the cheek all those years ago? And she said, I don't know, you just had a, a, a little chubby cheek, cute little chubby cheek sitting out there, and something told me to kiss it. Okay, all right, fine, fair enough. Um, so this, uh, what was it last year? Um, not quite a year and a half ago now, um, I had my Ireland tour. She came out on the Ireland tour and boom, we just hit it off. We're, you know, we're both single at the time and this, you know, one thing led to another and, you know, we were together. And so uh, when we came back stateside, we decided to go back to our old hometown, visit our old haunts. We went back to that school, which is now actually part of the university there. They've made it a performing arts center. But we're walking around outside, peeking through windows and things like that. We go to where that library is. And we're looking in the window there. And they've turned it into like a little music room or whatever. We're pointing at the spot. Yeah, that's where the, that's where the kiss happened. And Jen starts yelling through the window, kiss him, kiss him. And, you know, we're laughing about it, you know, thinking it's, you know, cute and all that. When we were driving away, I was like, wait a minute. Jen's story of kissing me on the cheek to begin with was something had told her to kiss me on the cheek. She didn't know what. So was it her 48-year-old self calling back to her six-year-old self in like this endless loop to kiss me on the cheek and get this whole thing started? Kind of I like the to so think about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You told that story on Chris's show. And I Did I? Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, please. I, I like telling that one. I like yeah, telling that one. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's beautiful, man. I really, really like that. Yeah, um, yeah it's you fascinating. Were, you were talking about actual time travelers before. My yeah. entry, like outside of, I guess, you know, Back to the Future and Time Cop and, you know, Bill and Ted. But John mm-hmm. Teeter was this name that started popping up in like the mid to late 90s. And he was supposed to be someone that came from the future uh, back into the past and was telling everyone about these oncoming wars and technology and like have first of all have you heard of john teeter and have there been other john teeters that flew under the radar well you know there are there are interesting people that come along that do claim to be time travelers um you know so i've seen some of these now with where they're pointing back at some you know black and white photo out of the 1800s and saying oh that's me right there and you're looking at it and it's like it's kind of blurry and fuzzy and eh, you know it's hard to really know and hard to tell um so when it comes to something like that to me it's okay what do i know about the person and can i take them at their word because yeah the question becomes okay how do you actually prove that now i believe that you know real time travel isn't you know a a delorean and a flux capacitor is going to have more to do with with consciousness it has more to do with energy resonance frequency and vibration which is what you know the whole universe is is made out of and when we can tune ourselves into those specific moments tune our frequency into the frequencies of those moments then we will be able to experience them we have things today you know that we refer to as time slips where there is a bleed over from you know one moment into the next and we get a glimpse of it and you're looking at somebody uh that's I don't know, maybe out of the 1700s or whatever and you're like oh that you know it's a, it's a ghost it's an apparition and they turn and look at you as if you're the ghost and it's like oh okay that's not that that's not a ghost it's not an apparition it's actually a time slip uh where they are we're seeing each other for a brief moment so i believe it's going to have more to do with that and um, I always refer back to the movie uh, Somewhere in Time uh, with with Christopher Reeve and Jane Seymour, where he was able to will his consciousness from 1980 back to 1912, and he was a- actually able to have a whole experience. That would be, you know, kind of like the dream to get to that point, to be able to do that, to be able to keep your frequency at constant, to be able to experience like a full, what was he there for two days? Um, that would be amazing. Um, Richard Matheson, when he wrote he when he wrote the book, um, which the book was originally titled Bedtime Return, and then because of the movie changed it to Somewhere in Time, and he and he wrote the screenplay as well. Uh, in the book version, he actually has Richard going to the library, which happens uh, in the movie as well. But the books that Richard is looking up in the library are actual real books on. You know, philosophy and science in regards to time travel that you can go and buy now today. So he based his research for that story off of real concepts regarding time and time travel. So he was certainly onto something. And uh, I think it will have more to do with that than some of these people that are saying that, yeah, they, they built a time machine or climbed into a time machine and they're, you know, from the future. We have stories of like some of these, you know, people are saying some of these UAPs, are time travelers from you know they're not actually extraterrestrials but they're us from the future and uh, i can get on board with some of that but it doesn't necessarily mean they're human because they could be time travelers from the future 
indigenous here to Earth, but it could be million, they could be for millions of years from now, some other intelligent life form that has developed and, and developed time travel technology to come back. Or they could be extraterrestrials millions of years from now that found Earth to colonize, built a civilization here, developed time travel technology, and came back. So, yeah, there's a lot of different ideas we can mull through here. Or they actually could be your future reincarnation for millions of years from now and really could be you looking at you. I don't know. It's fascinating. If you, if well, we <laughs> and that's a thing, too. So, you know, when we talk about reincarnation and if all time is concurrent, past, present, future. Um, so where you're sitting right now, um, every moment that has happened is happening and will happen all there right now. Well, that means your past lives are also here present with us. So when you walk into a room that, let's say, back in the 1800s or in the 2300s, that you have a past life there right now, is that where we're getting some of these like deja vu moments that, you know, the room or the building or whatever seems really, really familiar to you? Because lo and behold, one of your other lives is there at the same time. I mean, I absolutely think so. And I think a lot of times we've talked about it on the show before that I think in some circumstances, hauntings, are you haunting yourself? Are you uh, like, sorry, my baby's crying in the background. That happens. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think a lot of times you're experiencing like some trauma and you are experiencing some of your own past lives and you're dealing with some trauma from, from your past life. And so you, these things happen like in your current life. And I think that you are kind of haunting yourself in a way. Um, in, in some ways, in, in that regard, yeah, uh, those things from other lives will certainly affect you. Um, you know, to what degree? That's that's debatable. But yeah, those things stick with you. Sure. One one other back to the future trope. <laughs> sure. Because it's the go to. The almanac thing, right, where you go uh, into the future and you send yourself back the almanac or you like. Uh -huh. So does does that in your mind does that work or does that like does it just not work at all because you sending the information back changes the past and and whatnot and then i guess tacking onto that is it just such a trivial thing that if you had the power to time travel like it wouldn't even be on your radar to get rich from sports bets and whatnot um then that's a good question too is it too trivial at that point that you don't need the money um yeah, so I, if you were to do that, if you're like, oh, I just want to see if it's going to happen, I think would at least work the first time. You know, the, your your first bet, I think, would work. How that affects things from there, and it might work for the first few bets, but, you know, let's say, you know, you start rolling an adult, though, like Biff Tannen, you're, you know, multi-million billionaire or whatever, and you decide to buy one of those sports teams now. <laughs> that's really going to change what's in that almanac at that point right so um so at some point things would change enough where you know the almanac is is irrelevant uh at that point so um but but yeah you get it, your bets in early yeah get them in early <laughs> but but yeah it would probably be trivial to somebody who has that technology already what would they really need that kind of money at that point if they have that ability to move in all they have are movies to go on and like even in oh i know i totally operate, get it yeah they go and back it, to the civil war and they steal gold and it's I don't, right I it. well gold though gold has always had a value and always will have a value so um 
yeah, all of our world currencies at some point in time seem to, you know, you know, die away. Um, it, they'll have some sort of historical significance to them at, at some point as like an archaeological find. Uh, but gold always has a value to it, um, not just because we place one on it, but just because of the properties of it. You know, it doesn't it doesn't tarnish. Uh, it has electrical properties. It's very malleable. Um, that's that's something that will always be have a value to it. You can even eat it as a chef. Uh, there were so many times mm-hmm. I had to just put gold leaf on something. It was just a normal steak or something stupid, but people would put an extra bit of value on this <laughs> worthless little sheet of gold that I would put on it, and they'd pay a lot more for it. How yeah. much are those little sheets of gold? They are cheap, dude. They are really cheap. I I could get like twenty of them for I think it was like a dollar twenty. Oh my gosh. Sheets. It was really really cheap because they're so thin. It's almost nothing. Uh, but like we would take like a little like piece of foie gras. And we'd put it over the top of it and put it on a steak and we'd send it out there. And then I could charge like, I don't know, 150 bucks for the steak that you could probably <laughs> buy at Costco for 30 bucks. But, yeah. you know, or, or it's like uh, drinking Goldschlager, right? Yeah. Oh, dude. <laughs> Memories. Yeah. Good and bad. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, yeah it's, uh, but, um, you know, you, you ask some good questions. And, and you know, what, yeah, uh, pop culture has helped us to do in this regard is help us to ask those questions, you know, those what ifs and get us thinking about these sorts of things. Um, one I really like going to is Interstellar because um, they, they take a scientific approach to it. And a lot of people were kind of put off by the end of the movie because they're like, oh, we have this great space odyssey going on. And then you throw all this theoretical stuff you know, about, about time travel in it, but they actually do, I think a really, really good job of uh, portraying what we call the, the Tesseract, which is really, you know, that physical representation of time. And the way they did it was uh, with the, his daughter's bedroom, they showed every single moment in time of his daughter's bedroom as a physical object. And um, they had it all connected with like these strings and threads uh, which kind of hearkening back to the idea of string theory. And it's like, yeah, this is what somebody in one of those higher spatial dimensions might really see uh, when they look at time as an object. So some of, some of these ideas that come out of our, our pop culture and sci-fi are really good. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of them sometimes too are maybe, um, you know, I mean, the CIA is involved in Hollywood and things like that. And sometimes mm-hmm. they put out ideas that they actually are working on or, you know, or definitely some truth to some of those things. I yeah. think that's yeah. fascinating, too. Uh, but, Mike, have you ever tried? Because you seem like a spiritual guy. You have a lot of, like, esoteric, really cool knowledge. Have you tried to uh, do any time traveling yourself? Have you tried to? So I tried when, actually, when I was a kid, uh, when I was 14, it was a, I did it a year to the day after I had moved from Massachusetts to Ohio. And I was homesick uh, for, you know, going back and seeing my friends. And this is actually the introduction to, to the book. I tell this story. And, um, you know, having you know, watched somewhere in time, um, I was attempting to travel back you know the whole i'm going to will my consciousness back to another point in time now if i had actually pulled it off um you know i wasn't thinking of it at the time but if i pulled it off i would have woken up in 
that room that I was in at the time, my my bedroom, you know, a year or whatever it would have been in the past, and I would have shocked some other kid that would have been in that yeah. room. <laughs> you know, who's this? Um, so what happened, though, um, and, and I, I was 14. I didn't know what I was doing. But I had put myself into a meditative state, not realizing that's that's what I was in. And that's what I was doing. Um, so I was really calm. I was really relaxed. And I'm just thinking about going back in time, going back in time. And I started feeling like this undulating current, like these, like I was riding these waves and it was like up and down and up and down. And then I started feeling this electrical tingle. I had no idea what was going on and just boom, I snapped out of it because I was scared. I was like, oh my gosh, what's going on? No idea. Um, so talking with people years later about that particular incident, um, you know, they were telling me, well, you're on the verge of having an out-of-body experience. You're about to astral project. Now, the question is, would I have just astral projected to my room at that point in time, or would I have really succeeded in going back a year and appearing in that room uh, a, a year prior? I, I don't know, but um, but something was certainly about to happen before I, I spooked myself there. Yeah, Mike, I tell you, I've done the exact same thing. Not exact, but like I've gotten myself to those places where I'm like in a meditative state <laughs> and maybe I've, you know, maybe I'm handful of mushrooms too, or something at that, that moment <laughs> of time, trying to do something like that. And I do, I scare myself out of it. I'm like, I'm on the verge of something. And I'm like, Nope, yeah. I'm jumping off. I get, I jump off the train. <laughs> it, it's scary that, that you have to commit and just kind of like, you don't know what's going to happen if you do it. Um, and I don't personally like to feel out of control of situations like that. And that would like, if I woke up in a different dimension mm -hmm. or something like that, that would right. be, I'd be very much out of control. Um, yeah, have it's, you ever it's considered it's, trying that again. Um, yeah, it, it, and I have on occasion tried the the problem I have is I have so much going on. I'm running around all over the place, um, and I do meditate on a daily basis, but it's hard to unclutter my mind because there's so much going on up there right now. Um, I, I, <laughs> I guess as a kid, I was a little more at ease when it came to that. Go figure that with all the teen drama and angst right um but it's interesting that you mentioned the uh mushrooms because um i just was out in la uh filming a few episodes for a television show um can't say which right now until you know the air but one of the questions towards the the end of that particular interview um we were talking more about um it's strange phenomena and experiences and things like that. But the you know, idea now to use hallucinogenics to enter into some of these different dimensions, um, not advocating that, but it's, it's become a, a really interesting conversation. And I'm kind of with you in the camp of, you know, I don't like the idea of not being in control and especially knowing that, Hey, I've been on the verge of that before without, you know, the hallucinogenics or um, like ayahuasca or uh, the mushrooms or, or what have you. Um, but I've heard some really, really fascinating stories from people, things that they have seen and experienced, uh, perhaps even interdimensionally or different beings that they've interact with you know, by using something like ayahuasca or, or what have you. So it's, um, it, it's at least a fascinating study. 
I'm the one here that does advocate, so I'll just I'll just be okay. That. I'll, I'll that cross. <laughs> I advocate. Work. Has the the blue lotus come up at all in your research? Because I've always heard blue lotus as like the ancient Egyptians version of a psychedelic, but it also feels right. that might be retroactively fit in a way. Um. Yeah. You know, Muhammad talks about uh, the blue lotus that. Um, you, you see lotus you know, depicted all over the place throughout Egypt, uh, and it's basically a, a symbol of creation. And, of course, they have lotus perfume and things like this there, uh, where we go to, to get our, the oils, because that's that's always a special part of the, the tour, too, is we go to these different specialized shops to get different oils or papyrus or alabaster. It's fascinating. Um, and so, like, this one place that we go, they don't export out. You have to buy it there. So it, it seems like the idea of the blue lotus is more of a legend. But again, these legends have a grain of truth somewhere within them. So it's trying to figure out, okay, what's, what's the truth of the blue lotus story? There, there's something to it, but we're not exactly sure what that is. So like Soma a little bit. Like we, we know that the word was used and we know that it had certain connotations, but there's an infinite debate over what it actually, <laughs> what might have been. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Fascinating stuff, man. Yeah. So the Blue Lotus, Thomas, that was a, there's a, a psychedelic effect from the Lotus. Isn't that? Is I that just remember it? in the mid to late nineties, it was a little bit wild west. And if it wasn't like weed or mushrooms legitimately, there was a lot of stuff you could order online. That was like, that's when salvia you could order. And a lot of those places, they would also, um advertise blue lotus and they would say like this is what you know the ancient egyptians did when they wanted to trip out uh, yeah. but i it always felt like one of those things that like yeah but you're charging like 40.99 and there's a coupon code so there's a little <laughs> bit more to it than just wanting to reveal exactly the, secrets of the ancients <laughs> yeah and another one that's come up with, with egypt is the monatomic white gold and we see there in some of these um you know temples where they have labeled boom stargate uh there are the depictions of the the priests with the white powder cakes which many people say is the the monatomic white gold which does have you know research that has really been done in that area specifically uh by james hudson has revealed some very very fascinating properties and okay if they were ingesting this into themselves before they entered into the stargate is this what helped them traverse into the different dimensions because when you actually would like heat this up to certain levels which would get heated up uh to those levels within the human body because of you know, we're at 98 degrees and i think it was 70 something degrees that you needed to heat that up to um it would like for one it would disappear and we have other elements that you can make disappear by heating up to certain levels but uh, what they would would do after that is then they would you know kind of you know move a spoon through it so that if the substance was still there, but you just couldn't really see it, of course, naturally it would, you know, reshape the the object, the the elements that's there. Then it'd cool it back down and reappear in the exact same way as when it disappeared. So it made people wonder: okay, is the element itself actually crossing into another dimension when it when it's invisible? And other bizarre things, like when you put it in a metal pan, the pan would suddenly weigh less. With the with the substance in it bizarre stuff so you know it, it makes people wonder okay 
were they actually ingesting that going into the Stargate room and then passing into another dimension? Or like with some of these other things, ayahuasca, the, the blue lotus that they're talking about there, it was it to take you to an altered state of consciousness. So it's so we can debate on that. Well, and I mean, what is that altered state of consciousness? I mean, it right. really Are could be not? taking you somewhere, you know, it, it could is be to fast. another dimension. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've well, got a, a, little, a little peek hole into yeah. the tear into the fabric of reality. <laughs> right. Where are you saying, Thomas? I've got a, a final sort of Egypt related question. Um, and it might, it might sound a little bit flippant, but I, it, it's not intended to be, but I just, the way that I want to ask it, like, were they just wrong with the mummification thing? Or do we just not realize that they were onto something? Because as far as I know, no one in modern cultures does anything similar to like the traditional, um, like very strict version of mummification. So is that just because like we've advanced and there's people doing something that's like the advanced version of that or... Is it written off um, as like a gruesome cultural thing? It's well, you know, what happened? Were they just the wrong? Ancient, were they just no? It's, it's not that it's not that they were wrong. No, it's not that they were wrong. It's their um, their culture, yeah, became embedded with all these other cultures. So, you know, ancient Egypt over time lost their power, and you know they were invaded by the Greeks, Alexander the Great came in and took over. And so you had this great, great Greek influence that took over for a long time. And then it was the Romans that came in for a long time and you know, their influence uh, came into effect. And then after them, uh, it was the, it was the Arabs, which, you know, that was for thousands of years. So you had all these exterior influences that came in, in essentially the traditional culture, died off you know it was a couple thousand years ago that the hieroglyphs you know the, the last scribe that could actually read them he died and it took us you know um almost two thousand years later having to decipher and figure it out uh to be able to pick up on that again so it's just one of those where those customs just fell away hmm. that's a good point yeah. especially with the scribes that like, because so many things are lost the time when, like, the last guy that yeah. knew how to read the instruction manual stopped showing up to work, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think about that now, nowadays. Like, because I definitely remember reading this uh, about this story about, like, the Britons um, after Rome had taken over and built aqueducts and built all this, like, built all these roads and, and London and things like that. Uh, when the Roman Empire kind of collapsed in on itself and kind of fell backward. Uh, like there was all these Britons now that were like looking up at these aqueducts and being like, I don't even know what this was, <laughs> right. you know, and, you know, and just, uh, I mean, when our empire crumbles, because every empire crumbles, you know, we're going to yep. be looking up at, you know, I don't know. Well, that's my <laughs> other favorite time travel trope is like the guy that goes back to, you know, like the, like the, the, the medieval age and he's got his iPhone and it's like, look, you know, the magic box, it does all this stuff. And they're like, cool, how do you make that? And it's like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> you know exactly, I mean? yeah. Yeah, and, and and that's what happened with a lot of those ancient civilizations is that, you know, when the people that knew how to do it died off, that technology you know, is why we you know, forgot how to build things like the pyramids, like you're saying, the aqueducts, you know, ball back, you know, how did they move those stones? The technology that 
you know, got lost. You know, we, we don't know what that is because it's kind of the natural course of, of history. You know, evol evolution of technology is not linear. There are ups and downs along the way and things do get lost. Yeah. It kind of does feel like we're headed for a down, but, uh, who knows? <laughs> well, the pendulum is swung. Yeah, I mean, everything is is, is parabolic, and we've come yeah. to kind of the the top. And at some point, you know, it is yeah. going to fall off here. So, but you know, I like to think that all of this life is a cycle, and that maybe it we're going to get on the upswing, and maybe the next life, it, it'll be great. <laughs> and you know what? Oh, yeah. Right now, life is actually pretty good, and so I'm not going to complain at all. Um, and I'm going to enjoy maybe I'll have some popcorn and a, and a lawn chair and I can watch a little bit of the watching Rome burn. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, Mike, this has been a fucking fun, interesting, awesome conversation. Thank you for joining us, brother. Um, yeah, absolutely. Always good talking to you guys. Yeah, man. Uh, tell our audience one more time. What's the best way to support you? Do you have a Patreon? What's the best way to support Mike Rick sector in the work that he's doing? Well, buy the books. Um, got 13 of them out there. So MikeRickSecker.com, check that out. Um, I also have uh, the ConnectedUniversePortal.com, which is basically it's, it's a community where like-minded people can come together, share in all of this information. And I've got so much material out there um, as far as like classes that'll hold behind the scenes stuff. I do like video blogs. A lot of the travel stuff is out there too. So like all of my... Uh, just hours and hours worth of uh, Egypt video and going into a lot of these locations, all that's there too. So yeah, connecteduniverseportal.com. Heck yeah. Thomas, do you got anything to plug tonight, buddy? Uh, yeah, the big one, we're going to be announcing this tomorrow, but my, the comic series I've been working on with Sam Tripoli, chaostwins.com. It's a family friendly, all ages appropriate, which just saying that because normally when I'm promoting something, it's like hide the kids. But this one, you don't have to hide the kids. Made for kids. ChaosTwins.com. It's got time travel and intergalactic, interdimensional battles and all kinds of cool stuff. So that'll be announced in 24 hours from now, hopefully. Sounds like it's right up my alley. Check it out, man. ChaosTwins.com. I think you'll like it. Cool. We'll do. And uh, I think we we're, we're gonna close out. Do you want to close out on your uh, the Frazzle Drip fun fun house? Sure. Yeah. Art? Let's go from kid friendly <laughs> to not so kid friendly. <laughs> so uh, this is a comic book that Thomas is working on, and so we're gonna close with the promo. So everybody check out this. Uh, Thomas, what's the website that they can find? This, this one at? you can just go to frazzledripfunhouse.com, or if you go to paranoidamerican.com right now, there's a link right at the top of the page. This will be going for another week i think maybe another two weeks i think it ends on the 12th so you got okay. 10 days to back it get a backer exclusive cover all the cool stuff okay so if you love thomas and everything he does please support him and go to uh whatever that website frazzledripfunhouse.com that's a mouthful for me <laughs> but it's awesome you, you don't you want to get too much frazzle drip in your mouth Pro tip. <laughs> mike thank you brother we appreciate you yeah thank you both again appreciate it thanks Frazzle Drip Funhouse. Enter, if you dare, the world of an animatronic bear whose metallic heart beats with a thirst for justice, a hunger for revenge. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, connoisseurs of the macabre and seekers of the scandalous. 
Your voracious appetites for chilling narratives are about to be satiated by the heart-stopping, pulse-pounding creation of paranoid American and winged sun comics. Abandoned in the dusty corners of amusement, now awoken in the murk of wickedness perpetrated by an evil elite. And this is not your childhood fairy tale, but a macabre dance of vindication, soaked in crimson, a symphony of screams echoing in the dimly lit chambers of malevolence. Be prepared for an onslaught of ghastly gore and titillating terror. A wicked waltz through twisted hallways and blood-stained basements where only the brave dare to tread. Quake at the bear's unyielding pursuit, cackle at the sharp and sardonic one-liners, shudder at the graphic, gratuitous scenes that harken back to the glory days of B-horror flicks. Frazzle Drip Funhouse is your ticket to a thrill ride of terror, a carnival of carnage where the laughs are as loud as the screams. Uncover the truth beneath the rust and the blood, and remember nothing is as it seems. Are you ready to step into the Frazzle Drip Funhouse, where the animatronic eyes are always watching, and vengeance is a game that everyone can play? Get your backer-exclusive cover on Indiegogo. For more information, visit ParanoidAmerican.com.